even more so. We are blessed because we are children of the King. You have redeemed us. You have saved us. I can't do it. We can't do it on our own. It's through Christ alone that we are saved. What a greater love than that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Please don't let us sing these words in vain. Don't let us pray these prayers in vain. Please, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with you. Constantly remind us of your grace that we're overflowing into everyone else's lives. We're sharing the gospel boldly, openly. Lord, I pray over the message today. Lord, bring clarity to our hearts. Um, help us to understand your word, Lord, and to use it for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip, and uh, they got their fire started, and they had their meal, and then they laid down to, to rest for the night, and some hours later, Holmes awoke, and he nudged his faithful friend, and he said, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that tell you, Holmes asked. Watson pondered for a moment. Astronomically, he said, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a minute, and then he spoke. Someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> do, you, do you ever have weird dreams at night? You know, I mean, for me, weird dreams seem like they come when I'm anxious. Like, I have a lot of worries, and I have a lot of concerns, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot on my mind, and Sometimes it wakes you in the middle of the night and you, co you can't go back to sleep and, and, and maybe you wake up in a cold sweat. I don't know what crazy dreams are like for you. Today as we look at Daniel chapter 7, we see a pretty crazy dream. Uh, and a, a dream that for centuries people have tried to figure out um, in, in the course of time, what is this speaking about? What, what is this talking about? Where is this trying to take us? What is it trying to tell us? And there's been all kinds of ideas about what Daniel chapter 7 is speaking about, and we're going to wrestle with a few of those here this morning. But you know, oftentimes when I have weird dreams, it's because I am discouraged, or I'm disappointed, or um, maybe even depressed, and maybe that's happened to you, maybe that's happened to you this week. My wife has weird dreams, and I end up suffering, she knew I was going to say something about it, I end up suffering from it. Have you ever had your wife in the middle of the night jump up in the middle of a bed trying to get spiders out of the corner of the, of the room? 
When I wake out of a dead sleep and that's happening, it freaks me out for a few moments. Um, And then there was the one time that she hit me in the middle of the night. But, you know, hey, maybe that was getting me back ahead of time before telling this story to y'all. Maybe, I I don't know. She'll probably have a dream tonight, I'm guessing. But, but you know, one of Satan's biggest weapons against us is discouragement. It's one of his biggest tools. And, and, and he wants us to feel that. Um, you know, we sing about the harvest, and we think, oh, if the harvest could only last longer than it normally does, because it seems like winter hangs around in our life an awful long time uh, sometimes. I, I read once that the devil was having a yard sale, and all of his tools were marked with different prices. They were a fiendish lot. There was hatred, jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, all at expensive prices. But over to the side of the yard on display was a tool more obviously worn than any of the other tools. It was also the most costly, and the tool was labeled discouragement. When questioned, the devil said, it's more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring down my victims when any, with any of the rest of these tools... I use discouragement because so few people realize that it belongs to me. Yeah, it does. It's a work of the devil. Discouragement. You know, uh, we, we read about the hope and all that, that, that God gives us and in life and, and that we should maintain our faith no matter what's happening in our life. Yet, yet we begin to focus on what's happening to us in this moment right now and we forget that there is hope in the cross There is hope in our life today. Uh, You know, when when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ and we receive eternal life, you know, the Bible says that we receive eternal life and we can't think that that eternal life is something that we're going to get one day when we die. It starts the day of salvation. Uh, When the Holy Spirit moves in and he begins to fill us and change us, and when we begin to feel discouraged and disappointed and like the world is going to overtake us, we need to remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? That our hope is in him, not in stuff. And, and you know, I've, I heard that over and over and over from people that lost a lot in the fire last week. We still have our family, we, and, and, you know, those are things they can be replaced, and that's true. And, and, but, but, but I can't help but think, and I've heard stories of people who have lost everything materially and they end up committing suicide because they had all of their hope in those things. Our hope is not in things. Our, our hope is not in necessarily even feeling good about life and ourselves. Our hope is in Christ. And we need to remember that. And, and I'm only pointing out that we are often the subject of attack and discouragement so that we can be aware of that, that, that that's an attack on us. Because this dream that Daniel has, and he says it a couple times, it freaked him out. It, it was scary to him. And, and we're going to see that. But this dream was given to him by God. It, it, it wasn't with the intention of discouraging him and depressing him, but in the time and place where he was at, he could have very easily given up and said, well, it's just going to be all over anyway. Why should I maintain my hope in God? But, it, but, but I don't believe that he does that. Let's, if you haven't turned to Daniel chapter 7 yet, please do. Daniel chapter 7. And, and uh, I, I want to read chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, 
Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed and he wrote down the, stu- the substance of his dream. Now, we should think back now. Chapter 6, when we talked about the handwriting on the wall, that was the end of Belshazzar's life. So this chapter actually was written or this dream occurred before chapter 6. Okay, so Belshazzar is king of Babylon in the first year of his kingship. And Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming from the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed." I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this, so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. 
The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and a half time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Yeah. Wow. Beasts and kings and horns and... And, and what does it all mean, really? I mean, and, 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 and does it mean things specifically or does it mean things generally speaking? And, and I would love to be here and I would, I would love to say, well, this, this king was this king and this king. All that we know really from, from what a lot of scholars have, have said is that the first king is likely Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most regal of the, in his dream, the first king with the lion, etc. That was probably Nebuchadnezzar. And then, who knows, they might fall into the four kingdoms as, as, the, um, as Babylon, and then Persia, and the Medes, and then the Romans, and then the end, maybe. What I want to say to you this morning is that, truthfully, we don't know, specifically, the time that he's talking about, or that we're in the time. You know, are we, are we between the, the, the third king and the fourth king? Where are we in our time? Where do you think we are? How does it feel? Does it feel like we're in the end? You know, w- w- Jesus said there'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars and there'll be famines and, and this will happen and this will happen and then the end will be near. Is the end near? Does it matter? Does it really matter if the end is tomorrow or if the end is in a year or if the end is in a thousand years? Think about that. Think about that. In all of the arguments that you've had, theological arguments with people about how the, the, the days of the end line up, is it going to happen that way? Maybe. Maybe it might. But the Bible says that we don't know the time or the hour. We don't know. When and ultimately how specifically is it's going to happen. What we do know is that it's going to happen. Yes, Jesus wins on our behalf. Amen for that. So, so there are these beasts, and I just, the, there's four points today, uh, and I just want to say a few things concerning the beasts. Um, I said one of them, most scholars believe that the first beast was Nebuchadnezzar. But, and, and then as you read the interpretation, the question that Daniel a- asks, he's not so concerned about number two and number three. He skips from number one to number four and says, well, what about the fourth beast? It scared him the most. And remember, this happens before Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall. Daniel has been kind of put on the shelf. Nobody's seeking him for wisdom. He's just, he's just living in this kingdom. He's still in the political system, 
But Belshazzar has kind of gone on his own way. He's gone away from what Nebuchadnezzar knew and taught and how his life had be, been changed. And, and Belshazzar is only living for himself now and for his, this kingdom that he has now controlling and producing and the power that he has. Could the fourth beast be the Romans? Maybe. Do you suppose a Jew in the time of the Nazis thought that maybe the fourth beast was Adolf Hitler himself? I bet so. What's next? What big world disaster or tragedy could happen when we say, you know what, this this could be it. This could be the end. And it could be. But, But that, again... I, I don't want to wrestle with, with this beast is this, and this, this horn was this, and this horn was that. Quite honestly, I didn't have enough time this week to figure all of that out. And I'm not that smart. I don't think anybody is. But as we have seen through all of this, one of the main points of the book of Daniel is to show us that kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Kingdom, nations rise and nations fall. People are taken into captivity and people are freed. And God is still sovereign today. Will our kingdom come and go? Maybe. Will Europe come and go? How many of you thought that the European Union was the beginning of the one world government and was going to be the end of it all? It could still happen, but it looks to me like maybe that union is fracturing a little bit. So maybe we've got another thousand years or a hundred years or two hundred years. I don't know. And then I want to ask you this question. Does, because Daniel says, I was troubled in spirit. And when you think of somebody that's troubled in spirit, I think depression. I think discouragement. I think, man, this guy, this guy is looking up from the bottom of the barrel wondering what's going on. Is that okay? Is there such thing as, as this point number two, justifiable depression? Now, many of us would say, well, if you're a Christian, you should never be depressed. You should never be discouraged. You know what? You're human, right? You're human with human emotions and and sinfulness. And we are going to experience those things. We are going to feel those things. But what do we do in the middle of that? That's the question. What did Daniel do? Did he give up? No. When Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall, he calls for Daniel. And what does Daniel say? Ah, forget it. It's all lost to the kingdom of God. I don't need to come. No. Daniel comes and he says, stinks to be you, actually, is kind of the summation of what he says to Belshazzar. The handwriting is on the wall. You have strayed for too long. And your life's over. Your, Your rule is done. And we know that that was the end of the Babylonians. Because the Medes and the Persians move in right then. And they begin ruling. Daniel says, I was troubled in spirit. And he repeats it again if you look at verse 28. This is the, and this is an interesting statement. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself. Now, I don't think him keeping the matter to himself is a prescription for how we should handle difficult times. But this is a good reminder for us, I think, because we, all along up to this point, we have seen Daniel as a rock, as faithful through all things. 
The king says, pray only to this, and Daniel says, nope, I'm going to pray to God. The king says, eat this. Daniel says, nope, I'm going to eat what God wants me to eat. And we've seen, and, and, and I wonder if we've even thought ourselves, if I could only be as faithful as Daniel, if I could only have the hope that Daniel had, if I could only be as positive and, and, and holding fast to, to God as Daniel did. But we need to see today that Daniel was human. Just like you. You feel discouragement? So did Daniel. You, you experienced depression? So did Daniel. Now, I've talked to several people this week that are very much human. And, and we need to realize that we aren't a failure when we have a shadow in our life. You know, when you want to crawl in a hole and cover it up to never come out again, that's a normal feeling in life. It could, be, it could revolve around your health. We have people that are, that, are, that are fighting those battles right now. It could be legal. It, it could be something that, 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 that you just look at and, and, and what you see is the impossible and you wish it could just be over, but it's not and it may not be for a while. And you wonder, how can I endure that? How can I get through that? Maybe it seems that nothing is going right. Did you ever have one of those weeks where you said, if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all, right? I mean, that's sort of how it feels. Family relationships. I mean, it can be discouraging. Uh, I read a Facebook post this week that it was on Sunday night, and it was thanking a pastor for the amazing, encouraging message that day. And I could just, I could just read it in it. It wasn't... I wasn't the pastor. It was a different pastor. But I could just read in this person's words how good they felt. And then I saw a post on Wednesday, and he was like, where did all the encouragement go? Where did it go? And I thought to myself, Satan took it away. He discouraged you. He took what you heard, the truth that you heard on Monday, or on Sunday, and he, he helped you forget that. By Wednesday. It can be discouraging, which emphasizes point number three that we need to be watchful. We need to be watchful. There is evil in the world, lots of it. Some would say that's our government. There's certainly other governments in our world that are evil. And that propagate evil. And there are other countries that are experiencing evil. I mean, honestly, right? Just when you thought there there wouldn't be a new or different way to kill people on our planet, somebody drives a truck through a crowd of people. First Peter five eight says this be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we need to remember that Satan is not omnipresent. Okay? He can't be everywhere at once. But he's definitely at work. Tempting and manipulating and lying. Prowling around looking for the weak, looking for the downtrodden, looking for those who are slightly discouraged to push him over the edge. Swaying people's selfish minds. We must remain alert and watchful. 
How could you see good in losing all of your ability to make income? How could you see it? Apart from having your hope in Christ. You hear people experience that and, hear you, and you hear them say things like that and you think, wow, isn't that cool? They lost everything and, and they still have their hope in Christ. And, and you look at that and you think, wow, that's really great. And then it happens to you. And the question is, what is your response when you are hit with that? What is it? There are times when we in the family of Christ turn on each other because of our selfishness. You know, this can be discouraging and depressing for sure. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. We need to be watchful. You know, when life is going on really easy, it's... That is... That it, honestly, that's when we start looking around and looking at each other and start nitpicking each other, isn't it? When something ginormous happens, I don't doubt that those, those uh, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that those people out there in, in Prairie Center have had disagreements at times and there, there have been times where they didn't talk to each other or they didn't get along or whatever. But, but isn't it interesting that when there's something that's bigger than all of them, Everybody just rallies to conquer whatever that really big thing is. That's, isn't that the way the community of faith should be? What is that big thing that we're conquering? Right? What is our mission? What is our vision? Let's put our eyes on the kingdom of God, not on ourselves and other people. Because when we do the other and we, we start pointing fingers and, and that sort of thing, Paul says that we will destroy, we will be destroyed by each other. So we remain watchful. Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You know the conversation that Satan had with God before Job lost everything? And God's like, J- have you ever thought about that? God's like, hey, have you, to Satan, he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And I've often thought, holy smokes, God, I would rather you didn't have conversations with Satan about me like that. Right? And Satan says, ah, well, he's only faithful to you because he has all of this. And what does God say? Go ahead, take it. Take it from him. Take it from him. We would look at that and we would go, that's a tragedy, those things that happened to Job. And, but, but what we see in the book of Job is that's the sovereignty of God at work. And what does Job do? Brittany mentioned it earlier. He praises the Lord. Now, he wrestles pretty hard through this whole thing. Has some friends that kind of aren't such friends at times. But he never chucks his faith. He never says, God, you're not who you say you are. He, in the end, realizes truly who God is. And then, and then you look at this passage in, in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Sounds like a similar conversation that Satan had with God about Job. 
Now, what I would like to have seen was Jesus say, but I have prayed for you that he won't do that. That's not what it says. It says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. That whatever sifting God allows in your life, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. It's going to be tough. In fact, I didn't read context-wise where this happens. Is Anybody that know the passage really well, this happens before Peter denies Christ three times. (laughs) He failed, didn't he? Does God reject him? No. He restores him. When you and I fail... God doesn't reject us. If you think God rejects you, that's Satan using his tool of discouragement. Because God is about restoration and hope. And when we fail, we turn back to him. He lifts our head. He says, I love you. And when we repent, he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. So when we are in the midst of difficult times, human times, let's be reminded that Jesus prays for us. I think Jesus prayed for the disciples. He prays for you and me too. It's kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? Jesus standing in the gap for us. He's done it once for all time and continues. And as we're tested and sifted, as we experience pain and struggle, as we experience joy and contentedness, Jesus has your back. All the time, Garrett, you were right. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. Whether that be in the throes of the fire of hell, as we kind of see in these beasts right here, whether that be actual fire and what it burns up, whether that be fractured relationships or families or health. Jesus has our back. Let's be watchful and remember this fact. And then let's remember this, that our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. We are given assurance Just as Daniel is in this dream, that it doesn't matter what happens in history. It doesn't matter what president is in power. It doesn't matter whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans who have the majority in the House. We are given assurance that the God of Israel before creation within all of history and to all eternity has a handle on it. He knows what he's doing and he's working. He is sovereign. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try to affect change and we don't pray for change. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when the change that we hope happens doesn't happen, that we don't lose our faith, that we don't say, well, God must not care because he does. If Daniel had been alive later in life, I think here in this passage, he would have quoted John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is what that says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And who is the Word but Jesus? 
honestly, I think Jesus shows up in Daniel chapter, was it four, the fiery furnace? I think that is a theophany of Jesus in that furnace with those three boys. Showing, giving a precursor to what he's going to do ultimately for all of humankind. Rescue them. Save them. Now the, the, the kings represented by all the horns in Daniel chapter 7 are, are, are probably likely yet to come. At, at least in Daniel's mind they are. The end will happen. And I wonder if Daniel didn't think that it was going to be soon. Like maybe even next month. How could it get any worse? Jerusalem's been destroyed. Um, the, the articles of the, of the temple have been defiled. Actually, no, they haven't yet. Because chapter 7, the vision comes before the party with the writing on the wall. But there's no wall in Jerusalem. We just don't know when the end will come. But we do know this, John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world, Jesus said. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. He has won the battle. The end is coming in God's time. And what are we to do in life? We are to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We are to be lights in the world. We are to be faithful to the end, to our end, until Jesus returns. That's life, really, in a nutshell, right there. You know, why do we do this church thing every Sunday? So that we can do that together as a community of faith. The end is going to happen. But we need to remember that, that Jesus has all of the power. Satan doesn't do anything that he doesn't get permission to do. Now, that can be hard sometimes because we think, how and why would God allow this to happen in my life? I don't have the answer to that. But I do know that he is sovereign and that he is good. Jesus has conquered sin and death, and it is in his sacrifice and, and by his blood that we are saved. And I've said this once already, but I want to repeat it again because I think it's important. We're not just saved after we die. Eternal life just doesn't happen once we take our last breath. It happens, it begins the day that we receive salvation. And we can have confidence in life because he is in control. We can live through a day of battling cancer because we can rely on him for strength. We can live through a difficult time financially because we know that whatever we have is his in the first place and what we had he gave us in the first place and what we will have he will give us. We can wake up the morning after a day when nothing went right and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, a man happened to drive by a Little League game one day, and being a baseball fan, he decided to stop and watch for a while. And, and uh, he found a seat in the bleachers behind the fence, and he asked one of the boys on the bench what the score was. The little boy said, we're behind 24 to nothing. Really, the man said. The boy said this with a smile. He said, I have to say, you don't look very discouraged. 
The boy said, why should we be discouraged? We haven't been up to bat yet. (laughs) There's still hope. Now, I don't know about baseball games, but in life, with our focus on the kingdom of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always hope. There is always hope. There is always hope. Discouragement is real. Yes, it is. Emotions can drain our, our energy. Yes, they do. Not in our own Western pull-ourselves-up-by-our-bootstraps power can we get through everything in life that we're going to have to face. Can't do it. So let's realize as Daniel did, that this is a natural and normal human experience. But let's be assured by what Daniel said, that powers will come and go, nations will come and go, but the kingdom of God is forever. The sovereignty, the power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven, this is verse 27, will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. So as you face the world this week, remember that trying harder isn't the answer. Sucking it up isn't the answer, although I give that answer fairly often to certain things. Living the Christian life is really not about our effort at all, but our application of and surrender to God's power in us. Maybe you could write that down. Living the Christian life is really not about our effort at all, but our application of and surrender to God's power in us. He did all the work that's necessary. And our task is to walk by faith and trust him. Now, I want to read 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. I think I have it on the screen. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Our hope is in Christ. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to end in a song. And I want all of us to stand, and we're going to read that out loud. And if you believe that's true, um, I I want you to say it with conviction. And then I'll pray. We'll sing this last song in worship and the ushers will come and take our offering. And we will enter the week with this hope. Let's read 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 together. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. 
These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live with that hope in our life this week. No matter what we face, no matter what we're in the midst of, whether it's, whether it's harvest or winter or fall in our journey of life, may we know that our hope is in you. May we teach that to our children. May we live that before our neighbors and our bosses and our employees. Father, thank you for this day. And we close with this song as we lift up our hands and our voices to you. As we surrender our tithes and our offerings. Oh Lord, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.